Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. How y'all doing today? Great answer. I told the eight o'clock crowd, I'm gonna tell you real quick, that is a trick question. The answer is always obvious. It's woo, that's all I wanna hear. Because where else in your life when people ask you, how are you doing today, do you guys go woo? So I wanna give you a chance to do that here and in the overflow space. How are you guys doing today? Woo! Me too, I'm doing woo too. So I am so glad to be with you. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City. And for again, those of you who are here and in our overflow space, so glad you're here today. I genuinely believe I wouldn't be here if I didn't, that God actually wants to speak to you today, has something for you. That's why you're here. He loves you. That's why he's brought you here. And he's going to go with you as you take the truth that we talk about today and apply it to your life. We are in a teaching series called It Was All a Dream. We're looking at the life of Joseph, this incredible character from the Old Testament and how his dream turned into a nightmare, but that God redeemed it in a way that we couldn't possibly have imagined. He couldn't have possibly predicted and how he was faithful to a faithful God all the way through. I think we have a lot to learn from him. And so we're going to look at our life through the lens of the life of Joseph. And as we do today to prepare us for our time, I want you to think about something. We're going to see it play out in his life today. I want you to think about the things that you do when you don't think anyone's watching you. What are the things that you do when you don't think anyone's watching you? Because we all have those things. I know you're in church, you're like, oh, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, we all have those things that we do and we don't think anyone's watching us. Oftentimes we do them in the car. This is just where we go. So for some of you, you perform amazing concerts for one in your car while you're driving. You are singing and there's motions and your car kind of sways a little bit while you're going, that's awesome. I love that. I do that as well when no one else is in the car. Then maybe for you, it's, it's always in cars at stoplights where some of our grossest habits come out. So you'll be next to someone like picking their nose. You're like, I see you. Like it's not, you can't hide or chewing their nails or whatever, right? Because we forget that cars are actually surrounded by windows. We can all see in and, and, and maybe you didn't think about that. We, in fact, we have a window here at our church uh, where we have lots of meetings in our green room space. And, uh, and so whether it's an elder meeting or a creative meeting or whatever, we're having staffing in there. People always walk by that and see their reflection. And so, cause it's right by the corner, they'll kind of like go, and then they'll see through their reflection to all of us watching them in the room, which is an awesome moment. So we just kind of wave to them go, you look great. Or like, eh. you know, so pray for them. And so, in fact, I saw, a, I saw a video where uh, a guy, this recently, a guy was at a gas station and he saw someone pumping his gas and his wallet was kind of hanging out. You know, sometimes you don't pay attention to that stuff when you're pumping gas. And so there's video of a guy coming up and stealing his wallet out of his back pocket, like pickpocketing him at a gas station, gets the wallet without the guy noticing, turns around and notices the security camera that's filming that we're all watching, sees the camera. I mean, this is like for a couple seconds, looks back at the guy looks at the camera, drops the wallet on the ground, and then taps the guy on the shoulder and says, and shows that he dropped his wallet and hands it to him. The guy thanks him and shakes his hand. That dude walked away a hero. Why? Because he saw that someone was watching him and he couldn't get away with it, right? There's all kinds of things we do when we don't think anyone's watching us. So the question I want you to consider as we move into our time together is what do you do? What do you really do? What are the things that you do? The practices that you bring out, the habits that you have, When nobody's watching you, what do you do when nobody's watching you? What will you do when nobody's watching you? See, this is a really, really, really important question. It says a ton about who you really are. In fact, the Bible calls this, what's at the heart of this question, it calls it your character. That's how that question 
will be answered is with your character. That's what you do when nobody's watching you. It's who you really are if you were really honest. It's who you really are if you were really honest. And if you're not sure what your character is or what it says about you, you can find traces of what you do when nobody's watching you by looking at your bank statements. That tells you what you really value by what you spend. Going through your Google search history, that tells you a little bit about your character. How you talk about others when they're not there reveals a little bit about your character. There's all kinds of clues to our character in our life. It's kind of a big deal. In fact, you may not actually have much in this world, physically or financially much in this world, but if you have good character, you have far more than you realize. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 22:1 that good character is to be valued above gold and silver. It's more valuable than anything in this world. And while you can't buy good character, you can't buy good character, it always comes at a cost. And we're going to look at that in the life of Joseph today, so I want you to grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's great. We got you covered. There should be one in your seat back or under your seat. If you're in overflow, there should be one for there as there uh, as well. Genesis 39, page 28. So we're going all the way to the left. We're going to look at the life of Joseph and how he answered that question, what he did when no one was watching him. Quick little context, Joseph. Uh, you can catch all this from last week's message if you want to go listen online. Daddy's favorite, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, now carted off to a foreign land in Egypt, and that's where our story picks up. In fact, we don't know even all that much of what Joseph knows about God. We have no idea how much he knows about God. All he probably knew was what had been passed down to him from his great-grandfather Abraham. There was no Bible for him to read in this moment. There was no church for him to go and hear a message like this, no podcast for him to listen to. All he had were the stories passed down from his great-grandfather, Abraham. And so that's the context we have as we step into the story today. Genesis 39, verse 1, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who'd taken him there. Now we looked at this verse last week as kind of a spoiler alert for the whole story of Joseph. It says this in verse 2. The Lord was what? The Lord was with Joseph. That God was with him, even when his dream had turned into a nightmare. Even at his lowest, God was with him. And in fact, not only with him, but look what it says. So that he what? So that he prospered. So that he did well. And he lived where? He lived, this is really important, he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. Why is that so important? Because many of the slaves would work out in the fields, live in other houses, live in other quarters. But Joseph had somehow risen to a status within Potiphar's home that he actually lived in the house with Potiphar. That's an incredible level of trust given to a slave. Verse three, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So he kind of rose from, you know, anonymous slave, purchased at an auction, rose all the way up the ranks to like CEO of Potiphar Inc. He is running things right next to Potiphar and is incredibly trusted by him. In fact, it says Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. Now keep in mind, at best, Joseph is maybe 20 years old at this point. And this is one of the most powerful people in one of the most powerful empires in the world. And Joseph has risen to a level of trust because of God being with 
him. Verse five, it says this, from the time he put him in charge of this household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Isn't that cool? That because God was with Joseph, everyone who was with Joseph was blessed. Think about that for a second. That those who were in proximity to him received the blessing on his life because of the presence of God with him. So that everything just around him that he worked on was blessed, was different because God was with him. That's a powerful, powerful picture. And it would have been really, really easy for me at this point. I know this probably would have been where I would have gone for Joseph to go to, to the route of victim. Oh, look what's happened to me. Oh, can you believe I had a beautiful robe and my brothers like, and just kind of go to life has all happened to me. But what we see here is that because he was faithful to God and the blessing and presence of God was with him, everything he did that he chose to put his hand to that he worked hard at was blessed because of it. Can you imagine if that was the framework you had for your job? That there are others around you being blessed because you know that God is with you, even if you don't love your job. Wherever it is, your office, your home, wherever it is, you walk in there with a sense of confidence because you know God is with me and there's a blessing that comes with the presence of God wherever it goes in his people. In fact, maybe tomorrow the best thing you could do is walk into work and the first thing you say when you see everyone tomorrow is, you're welcome. <laughs> you like last quarter's earning report? You're welcome for that too. <laughs> Glory be to God. All right, so you, you can take that posture if you want. I don't think it's best. But that's what we see going on here is that there was a blessing that went with him because God was with him. Verse six, it says this. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, listen to the level of trust. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. That's all he cared about. Everything else, he didn't even see it. I don't even see the receipt. I don't even see it. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Going on. Now, Joseph, now it says this. Text turns a little bit in the story. Everything's like, okay, things are looking good for Joseph. Well, just wait. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while... His master's wife took notice of Joseph and very, very subtly said to him, a lot of kind of, you know, not really clear on what she's saying here, <laughs> said to him, come to bed with me. Come to bed with me. Now, queen of subtlety, Mrs. Potiphar, is pretty clear in what she wants. The Bible doesn't tell us much about her, but it does give us this really important note that Joseph was very handsome and well-built. So, I mean, if, I mean, if you're looking for like a, like a mental image, I mean, you don't have, I'm just saying, because if it helps you to think about, anyway, so, but we don't know much about her. All we do know is something very clear. This woman is thirsty. Like she is, she is the definition of thirsty. All right. So she wanted Joseph, and if we're being really honest, now listen, put yourself in his shoes. If we're being really honest, what's to keep him from saying yes to her? What's to keep him from saying yes? Just, I mean, but be really honest about it. What would you do in that moment if no one was watching you? Think about it. He'd been sold, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. He's in a foreign land. He's working as a slave. Even while everything's going well, it's still in the context of slavery, 
He, you, can you imagine how lonely he is? No one there speaks his language. No family, no friends. And here's someone who's interested in him. And on top of all of that, his master trusts him. So, I mean, this, he's got kind of some carte blanche in the house. And even more important than that, his master's gone. So what's to stop him from saying yes to her? God? <laughs> we don't even know how much Joseph knew about God. And let's be really honest. If God didn't care enough to stop all the bad things from happening in Joseph's life, why would God care if Joseph said yes in this moment? Put yourself in his shoes and be really honest. What would you do? if no one was watching you in that moment. So this is really, really, really important for us to get because Joseph is at a really low and vulnerable point. And I just want you to get this to the point that you may want to even write this down and it may be the whole reason you came here today because here's a truth that you just can't escape. We see it in Joseph's story. We see it in our own. Temptation is always at its highest when you were at your lowest. True? Temptation is always at its highest when you are internally somewhere at your lowest, maybe circumstantially at your lowest, maybe just internally in your soul at your lowest. Temptation is always going to be at its highest when you are actually at your lowest. This is when you're most vulnerable. This is when your character is critical because this is when what's in you comes out of you. And it's always when you're at your lowest that temptation is at its highest. Think about it. Just think, tell me if I'm wrong. Those of you who've lived some real life stories, I, you all need to be saying some amens because you know that led you down a path. You were at your lowest, you were vulnerable, you were weak, and you said yes to something you knew now you should not have said yes to then. Listen, this is why they tell you never grocery shop when you're hungry because you're going to make some choices you regret Later, anyone know what I'm talking about? Temptation is at its highest when you are at, set the Instacart and walk away, <laughs> reflect on your choices, and then come back to it. Listen, I, anyone here running the marathon this year? Anyone run Chicago Marathon? We celebrate our runners? Yes, we celebrate you and you and you and you. We, I love, we have a bunch of folks from Soul City running the marathon. I uh, ran the Chicago Marathon. Um, I finished the Chicago Marathon a couple years ago, and I'm telling you, talk about being at your lowest. Man, I'll tell you what, I remember specific spots where I got to my lowest. I, mean, I remember exactly where they were, and I just, temptation couldn't have been higher in those moments for me. And I just thought, you know what, I just, if I, I just need to tie my shoes real quick. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit down here and tie my shoes real. I mean, that's, that's, that's where I was at. I mean, literally, if I stopped to tie my shoes, game over, that was it. And I remember I had a guy who picked me up here because the marathon goes right in front of Soul City Church. He started running with me at mile 13 and a half right here. Was only supposed to run with me to like mile 15, mile 16. He was still with me at mile 20 because he knew I was at my lowest. And I kept asking him like, so do you have, can you get an Uber out here? Because <laughs> if you could just get me to the end. I'll walk across. That's just, you know, when you're at your lowest, temptation is always at its highest. You know, maybe you've been traveling a lot for work lately and you just feel like you're in a different city every week and no one there knows you and no one there would ever know. Or maybe you've been in a fight with your spouse, your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. There's a conflict or maybe there's just conflict going on and you find yourself confiding with someone at work who you really feel like gets you. And if you're being really honest, you're attracted to and you like what they're giving you in that moment. See, the temptation comes. It's at its highest when you're at your lowest. 
And I think we all just need to be adults about this and get that, that that is just true. Temptation can always come, but it's at its highest. It's at its strongest when you are at your lowest. This is when your character is called upon, when what's in you will come out of you. This is where it's either lost or found. In the face of temptation, when you have a choice to make, will I say yes to this or will I say yes to God? So let's see what what Joseph chose in this moment. Verse eight, it says this, but he refused. He refused. What's in him came out of him. He said, no, listen, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. Verse nine, I love the confidence of 20-year-old Joseph speaking to Mrs. Potiphar in this moment. No one is greater in this house than I am. And he's calling it, he's exactly right. Potiphar put more faith and trust in him based on my my hunch is a quick character assessment of his wife and Joseph. (laughs) My master has withheld nothing from me except, except you. Because you're his wife. Plain and simple. That's not right. How then could I do such a wicked thing? Now look at these words. And sin against God. Now again, we don't even know how much Joseph knew about God, but he knew that this wasn't from God. And he may not have liked the path that God had led him on to get to this point. I wouldn't. He may not have liked the way that God had kind of woven his story so far. I know I wouldn't. But he knew that it wasn't time for him to grab the wheel and go his own way. I may not like where God has me. I may not even like how he got me here, but I'm sticking with him. I'm going to choose to actually trust him in this moment. Powerful, powerful thing for him to say no to her in the face of that. No, and to choose God's way. Verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Can you imagine that level of temptation? I mean, every day. I love what the text says. He just refused to even be with her because he knew what that could lead to. So if she's in the bedroom, he's in the kitchen. If she's in the kitchen, he's in the living room. Can you imagine every day walking into work? Oh, hey, Joseph. Like every day. He's like, oh, my God. Here we go again. I'm not going to be with this woman because I know how strong the temptation is. And I'm going to choose to honor God as much as I know about him. I know that I can trust him in this moment because there's no telling what she might do. There's no telling what Potiphar might do if he did what he could do when no one was watching. But he decides to keep his character. Verse 11, it says, one day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants was inside. Pause. That's a setup right there. And if you're Joseph, dealing this day after day, you walk in, you go, and it's totally quiet in the house. No one's there. There's only one person there, Potiphar's wife. And look what it says. She's done with her version of subtlety. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. Attacks him. But the text says, I love this. He left his cloak in her hands and ran out the house. Literally was like, he just pulled a Usain Bolt, smiled at the camera, and he's gone. (laughs) 
out the house. No, thank you, Mrs. Potiphar. I see what you're doing. Not going to happen. Not going to do it. Listen to me. There are times in your life where it's right for you to fight temptation, for you to look it in the face and say, not today, Satan. Not going to happen. Not on my watch. There are times to fight. Now, listen, there are times to work on why is this going on? Why am I so tempted by this? Why does this continue to draw me back in? And to do the soul level work, that's transformative work that you do with God to say, help me understand. But then there are times when you just need to lace up your Nikes and find the nearest exit and run out the house and get out of the situation because you're not smart enough and you're not strong enough to outrun temptation. And when you're at your lowest, temptation is always at its highest and it's coming for you. And so what will you do when no one's watching you? What will you do in those moments? I think it's a powerful thing to see her holding his cloak there because yet again, he's robbed, stripped of his cloak. And yet again, it's used as a form of attack against him, lies about him against him, as we're about to see here in a moment. This is a really important moment, really critical moment in the life of Joseph. And that's where these tests of our character always come. They always come in a moment. There may be signs kind of leading up to it, but it comes in a moment. In fact, I love the way that my old boss, Andy Stanley, puts it. He says it so brilliantly. You might want to jot this down. When it comes to tests of character, he says this. He says, tests of character. When it comes to tests of character, there's no cramming for a test of character. There is no cramming for a test of character. It always comes as a pop quiz. That's true. There's no cramming. There's no like, oh, give me five more minutes. Oh, let me just cheat off the person next to me. There's no cramming, trying to build your character up as quickly as you can because it's coming at you. What's in you comes out of you. And it's always a pop quiz. It always comes sometimes when you least expect it, sometimes in a moment like this. And I wonder, I wonder, I wonder right now, I wonder if any of us maybe are in the face of a little pop quiz of character testing going on right now. There's some places where you just feel your character being compromised, being called into question. Maybe for you, in fact, that's the whole reason you're here. It's because you feel it and you're like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And so you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Or maybe you're here because you had a moment like Joseph. And instead of you running out of the room, your character ran out of the room. And you made a decision that you now regret. And you wonder if God can restore your story, and the truth is, he can. In fact, that's what we're all about, is that he can restore your character and restore your story. But it always comes in moments like this, when it's put to the test. I wonder what your story will be, the course of your life. So let's wrap up the story of Joseph here. Mrs. Potiphar has already started to spin her story about Joseph. In fact, she starts with the other household servants, who none of whom were there, and says, you'll never believe it. He tried to attack me. He tried to attack me. And if you worked in that house seeing what she did every day, you'd be like, uh-huh, sure, he tried to attack you. But she convinced them that that's what happened. In fact, she convinced her husband when he got home from work, this is what happened. He attacked me, and that's where we pick up the text in verse 19. Verse 19 says this, when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Pause right there. He burned with anger. And what you imagine in this moment is, yeah, I'd be mad at her too. 
How could she say something about Joseph like this? And if you're Joseph, you're thinking, well, God said he's with me. And I'm not so sure I like what with me means in my story so far, but I believe that God's with me. I believe that he's with me. So clearly Potiphar's going to see through this whole mess. And while he may be angry at his wife, he'll know that I'm telling the truth. He's trusted me so far with everything, right? That's where I would go. But that's not where the story goes. Verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. So he goes from being a slave to a prisoner. In a moment, in an instant. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, but listen, this is so powerful. A little sneak peek into next week. But while Joseph was there in prison, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Verse 21. The Lord was what? The Lord was with him there too. Every high, which there haven't been many of in his life yet, and every low, the Lord is with him. And now look what it goes on to say. He showed him kindness. Does it feel like kindness when you're a slave made into a prisoner? But as we're going to see next week, you'll see what God's kindness really looks like even in our darkest circumstances. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the same thing that Potiphar saw in him, the prison warden now sees in him. And what is it that they see in him? It's that intangible, invaluable thing called character. And you can see it in others, can't you? You can see it in others. When it comes out, you can see it in others. And you know, that's a person of character. That's a person worth trusting. Not a perfect person, far from it, but they are a person of character. And that's exactly, exactly, exactly what we see here in Joseph. And you're going to find out next week, as we look at the story of Joseph, and it continues, his dreams come back, even in the nightmare of being a prisoner, Dreams begin to come back into his life in a fresh way, and God begins to unfold the bigger story of his life. But I just want to pause for a second, and I'm, I just a thing that's so important, a truth that's so important for every one of us to get. And again, maybe the whole reason God brought you here today, it's our hope for you and your life, your friends, your family, what others will say about you. And it really comes down to this, the fundamental truth that we see in the life of Joseph, my hunches you've seen in some other folks. And it's this, it's your character. Your character is always what carries you. It's your character, not your charisma, not your hustle, not your connections, not your experiences, not your degrees. It is your character. It's always your character. It's always been your character that will carry you. And you may not have much in this life, but if you have good character, you are rich beyond imagination. I bet you know some people like that. I see Warren. You may not know Warren, but everyone who knows him thinks highly of him. He's not even all that impressive. I mean, <laughs> that's a there's a compliment here, Warren. It's coming. But he's a man of character. He's been a man of character in his family, been a man of character in his career, been a man of character with his finances. Lots of little moments where no one was watching. And he said, I trust you, God. And the cumulative effect over that over time is that anyone who meets him or knows him says, it's a man of character. I trust him. Don't you want that to be said of you? Don't you want that 
to be what people say about you when you're not around, say about you when you're gone one day. That's a man of character. That's a woman of character. Your character always, always, always is what carries you. And so what does your character say about you today, right now, in this moment? Are there places where your character's being compromised, called into question, maybe at work? There's some places where you're cutting some corners and you're thinking, well, no one really cares. It's not hurting anyone. This isn't a big deal. How you talk about others. Maybe relationally, there's some stuff going on where you're engaged in a relationship that you know you should not be, and it is robbing, it is stealing your character away. And maybe, maybe the whole reason you came today is because today's the day that you lace up your shoes and say, I'm gonna run. No more, no more trying to manage this, no more flirting with this, no more thinking I got this under control, I'm out. I quit. Maybe there's some folks you need to text today and say, it's, it's over, it's done and you don't need to reply back, it's over. Maybe there's some habits or patterns that you keep nursing, you keep around in your life, and it's time to go home today and throw it all away, flush it down the toilet, come clean with someone you can trust around you, and say, here's the truth you need to know about me, and watch even in your lowest how that act of confession and bravery builds your character. You'd be amazed. That's what fear wants to tell you, is that you can't tell anyone else. But one of the most character-filled, courageous things you can do is to come clean today, to ask for God's help. And so that's what I want to do. I want to just kind of wrap up our time by doing just that. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand. We're going to take a posture of prayer that we take around here with open hands. I think this is just, I, you know, we've talked about this before. Maybe you were taught to pray with your hands closed. It's not in the Bible. They just did that so you wouldn't touch people next to you, right? <laughs> Bother those around you. I think a better posture of prayer is hands open because you're opening your life up. You're opening your heart up. You're opening your character up to God and saying, okay, what do you have for me? So I'm going to pray over you. Maybe you want to pray in your own words. And in fact, I wouldn't even give an invitation for anyone who wants to begin a relationship with Jesus, a grace-based relationship with Jesus. We're going to, I'm going to walk you through that in a moment. And maybe today's the day. That's the whole reason you came. God's about to give you a whole new life and a whole new story. So let me pray for us as we do, both here and in our overflow spaces as well. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this incredibly courageous character moment with Joseph. And we know that he didn't all of a sudden just find his character discover. It was built. It was built. It was built in the pit when he was thrown in there by his brothers. It was built when he was sold into slavery. It was built as he put his hand to work and chose not to be a victim but be empowered by you, God. It was built in that moment as well when he was tested. And so, God, I pray for every person right now whose character has run out of the room without them and has led them into a story that they honestly wouldn't have chosen if they really sat down and thought it through if they really would have trusted you. And so today's the day that they come clean and say, they, God, I pray for our whole church that we would find forgiveness and freedom in you for every place where there's cracks in our character, every corner we've been cutting, every little thing we've been trying to do and hiding in secret. God, you are so good because you give us character and you restore our character and you make us new. And so God, I pray that's what you would do and that we'd be willing to trust you over the long, slow work of character building. 
that we would trust you every step of the way. And God, I pray that would be said of our church, that they're people that just, they're just people of character, seem to love God and trust him with everything. And God, I pray for anyone right now who's at their lowest. Maybe they haven't compromised their character yet, but God, they feel overwhelmed. Maybe there's a new move or a new job, a new transition, and they feel so lonely and out of sorts. Maybe there's an uncertain future ahead of them, and God, they, they want to cling to things in the past that got them this far, but that's not where you're taking them, God. Maybe, God, there's a loss in their life right now, and they just feel like they don't have, they don't, they don't know if they can take another wave crashing into the bow of their life. God, I pray for every person who's at their lowest, because we know temptation is at its highest. And so, God, would you give them the courage to see what's of you and what's not? and to choose to trust you even in this low moment, in this low valley, in this low uncertain season, to choose to trust you because you are faithful, God. And God, I pray for anyone right now who's come to this place, and God, maybe they didn't even know they could have a relationship with you. God, maybe they thought it was all up to them, and they had to do it all. But you've actually entered into our story, and you said that we cannot do it all. In fact, we can't do any of it without you. And to show us that and to prove your love for us, you sent your son for us. And it was his death and resurrection that actually gives us life. Thank you for the character of Jesus who trusted you all the way to the cross and beyond so that we could be in relationship with you. And so God, I pray for any person right now who wants to enter into a relationship with you, give them the words to say it and to pray it right now, to confess their sin, to choose life with you, both here in earth and forever in heaven with you. God, I pray even as they pray those words, they confess to you, they come to you right now, they would feel a washing over of their soul and that that sanctification work would begin as transformation begins to take way in their life because of salvation found in you. God, thank you for new life being born right now. We trust you. We trust every promise, God. We trust that you will be faithful even in our darkest and lowest moments. We can trust you. And so it's in your name that we pray and we sing. Amen.